Hey everybody, Adam Stott here. Thanks for checking out my podcast, Business Grow Secrets. You're absolutely in the right place. This podcast is going to reveal to you all of the secrets that you've been looking to discover that are going to allow you to cure your cash flow problems, attain more clients, bring in more leads for your business, and create systems and processes that give you the growth that you want. You are going to discover the business growth secrets you have been looking for that I've used to sell over £50 million worth of products and services on social media and help clients everywhere to grow their businesses on the mark. So let's get started on the Business Growth Secrets podcast. Hello, everybody, and good evening, and welcome to another episode of Business Growth Secrets. Uh, your host here, Adam Stott, and I've got a really, really, really exciting guest. I've had a brilliant chat just before we got started, and I think you're really, really going to love tonight's podcast interview. It's going to be really, really good. It's Annabelle Carmel, who has written over 40 books, and she's made a brilliant business from her book writing, as well as so many other things. She has one of the best-selling and best-downloaded food and drink apps, as well as having her food range in all the stores in the supermarket. It's created a massive brand. In addition to that, she's won an MBA, and she's a lovely, fabulous lady. We just had a really, really good chat. So tonight, as we're going through, make sure you pay close attention because I've been talking to Annabelle just before we started, and already she's given some brilliant tips. I think she's got a great view on business, which is going to help so many of you get an edge in your businesses. So make sure as you come on tonight, you say hello and uh, you get involved. And without any further ado, we should welcome on Annabelle. How are we doing, Annabelle? We good? Yeah, it's great to be here and to meet you. (laughs) So welcome on. Already, as we said, we just had a, a good chat beforehand and you really gave me some great insights into your view on business, which I think is going to be really, really important um, for some people to hear this evening. And really where I want to start off is obviously we've got these great successes we've had over your career, having 40 books, which as you even mentioned yourself is, you know, not many people go out there and are able to write so many books. And, and we'll talk about why it is you've been able to do that so successfully, as well as your MBE and as well as all the services that you've given to, you know, food and nutrition. So I really want to hear a bit more about how that journey started. So do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got started? Take us back a little bit. Yeah, it was actually a tragedy that started me in this career. I'd actually been a musician. I played the harp. I sang. I studied rock college music in Holland. And, you know, I spent my life being a musician, trained musician. And then I got married and then it took me quite a while to get pregnant. And eventually I gave birth to a little girl called Natasha. But one day she didn't look quite right. He called a doctor. He told me first time mothers worry unnecessarily about their child. But eventually I took her to see him and he said she was fine. Next day I went to another doctor because she didn't look fine to me. And five days later she died in my arms at Great Ormond Street Hospital. And I was beside myself. I lost my child. I was no longer a mother. It was... I was 28 years old. It was just the whole of my life just fell apart. And it was funny because from that day on, I knew that I wanted to work with children and make some meaning from her life. It's a very kind of defining moment when you lose a child. And it definitely changed my life. I mean, it was very hard to pick myself up and be normal. And I really couldn't until I became pregnant again. I took a fertility drug to to speed up the process this time. And eventually gave birth on the staircase to no doctor, because my doctor told me not to go to the hospital, it would be ages yet. And it was the birth of Nick. And he was literally the world's worst eater. And that was the catalyst to my career. 
Really? So I was determined to get him to eat. On the staircase. On the staircase. <laughs> Your trust in doctors will be very low, I imagine. It was not good. <laughs> no. Absolutely. Well, that is, you know, a terrible tragedy. And Helen's just said, you know, come and said it's an absolute terrible tragedy. And, and the fact that you've used that as a catalyst and the positive, I think, is a massive lesson already because that can consume people for, for a long, well, for their whole life, can't it? You know? And I'm sure it still does, but you, you know what I mean. You've used it as a positive way to go and impact people's lives. So congrats yeah. on that. Yeah. I think we want to find some way to give her a legacy that her short life had some meaning. It was very important to me that. And for sure, she has a legacy. Because my first book, I think I shared this to you. My first yeah, book, you uh, this is the book that was inspired by Natasha. And then my son, who wouldn't eat. And it's the 30th anniversary of this book this this week. It came out this week. So I'm very excited about that. If that book had been a massive fail, I would that would have been the end of my career, basically. <laughs> And everyone told me, like, don't bother. I mean, it's an interesting thing that you say there because, you know, I think that even if it had been a massive fail, we'll, we'll talk about what it wasn't yeah. in a minute, but I, I would be willing to bet that you'd have kept going. No, it was almost a fail. I think I was turned down by 20 publishers. And in fact, the publisher who eventually published it had turned me down previously. It was only that an American publisher had agreed to publish it that they decided they'd in the water. It was very hard. And I nearly gave up. And, w- and when you launched it, was there many people in in that world, in that industry? Because it's big, bigger now, you yeah. know, but back then, was there so many people in that industry or not? Yeah, so you've still- very, very boring. And people said, babies only like bland food. And I'm thinking, I don't like bland food. Why would my baby? So I thought, I put this to the test. And I was running this big baby group. So I had like 30 babies around the table. And I gave them like really bland food. And then I gave them some like a chicken curry puree. They loved it. So I thought, well, that's not true. And then I tried to find out all about baby and toddler nutrition. And it was so difficult because all the experts up and down the country they interviewed, they literally contradict each other on almost everything. So I thought, how am I going to write this book? And then eventually I remember that at Great Ormond Street, they have this Institute of Child Health, which is the research on Great Ormond Street. So I worked with them to get the real proper scientific research on what babies and toddlers should be eating. And that was very before its time, because now we say, give peanut butter from six months, you know, introduce red meat, introduce essential fatty acids. And that was in my books. And it was like, well, no one was doing that at the time. They were all saying, don't give peanut butter, your child might get an allergy. But now they know by not giving it, the child's more likely to develop an allergy. It's completely the opposite. So yeah, it was an interesting book. And that book, it just sold out within three months. And even the publisher thought that was a fluke, and they didn't offer me another book, not to begin with. So I did BBC Foods, I remember that. And then that one did well, and then they took me back, and then I published about 20 books with them. So, yeah, even then they didn't believe. They just thought it was a flash in the pants. Just no book on feeding babies and toddlers had ever done well. It was the worst subject to choose, because every publisher turned me down, because all the books on that subject had sold, like, 10 copies. That was it. You know, this book sold 5 million copies. I mean, no one is buying copies. Wow. I that thought my mum would buy a copy of my best friend. That would be it. <laughs> <laughs> Five million copies. Well, congratulations. That is mega. And I think that we're certainly in a subject. My, my son, um, you mentioned, uh, he, he doesn't eat well at all. You know, and it, he's, he's very, very difficult. So you might sell five million and one copies. <laughs> 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 and he's living with me temporarily. 
And he is the most adventurous, hugest eater I've ever seen in my life. I make something for four people and he'll eat the whole lot. So there you are. There's hope yet. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. So, you know, what I'm, I think I'm sure there's going to be some people listening that are aspiring authors, right? As well as we have lots of different business people, but actually more I would even say a lot of my clients, especially in the last few months, have been asking me about writing books, especially with the whole COVID thing and people looking at how they can actually use their time wisely. It's definitely a big thing at the moment. And, you know, a couple of my clients, one of my clients, Dan's just launching his new book. We've got another one, another called another client as well looking to launch. Why do you feel, and you told me already, I want the audience to kind of hear why you felt it was successful and behind the scenes, although you said the publisher thought it was a fluke, you weren't confident in it. But looking back now, and well, actually, it was, I was confident that it was a good book. I just wasn't confident I'd get a publisher. <laughs> yeah. So you were confident it was a great book? Well, and- I thought it was a book that people needed because I needed it and my friends needed it. And I thought other people would need it too. Yeah. And what was but that process I- as a first time writer? What was your process like, Annabelle? How did you get your head down and take it to completion, if you can remember back to that? So first there was the research, and then there was all the cooking in the kitchen, and then it was, I wrote the entire book. Now, I don't know why I did that, because you don't need to do that, but like from cover to cover, and I finished it. <laughs> so that's what I thought you were supposed to do. And then I thought, well, I also need some illustrations. So I offered £500 to various art colleges all around the country to come up with characters, like food characters for the book. And they came up with, one person came up with amazing designs. I mean, they're all fabulous. So I then put it together with the illustrations, and I sent it to all the publishers I thought would be good for publishing this book. Most of them never even replied. And the ones that did reply wrote me quite rude letters. So that was quite depressing. And then I played tennis with somebody who knew somebody was a book packager. This is 18 months after trying my first publisher. And they took it to Frankfurt Book Fair. And they came back and they said Simon & Schuster, which is a massive publisher in America, yeah. published yeah. the book. And I think that's the only reason I ever got it published in the UK, because then Random House thought, well, if Simon Schuster wanted to publish it, maybe there's something about this book. So I think, well, we'll publish it. But they published it through the book packager, which meant I got terrible royalties, literally terrible. So I remember them saying that I might, at best, make £30,000 out of this book. This book's 5 million copies. Couldn't get a literary agent. So I'm not giving any percentage to the church because I couldn't get one. Yeah. In fact, it did me a big favor. And then I went on and I did I did a one-book contract, which was quite good, with the book packager. And then when Random House saw it was such a success, I signed a contract with them. But now it's interesting. So very often what publishers do now, they wait till somebody has a huge social media following and yeah. then they yeah. do it with them because they know that the people following them We'll probably buy their book, and so it's almost guaranteed to be a success. Yeah, like yeah what happened with Joe Wicks and people like that. So yeah, it's very yeah. different from my day. It wasn't like that. There was no social media. Yeah, yeah. So in so, fact, so, one way to get a book published is to build up your social media following. Absolutely. <laughs> if you want to get the right publisher, so you went on then to to build a career basically, and a brand. You know, I think, you know, this story, you know, but so much, and we were chatting beforehand, and to go and launch your, your mill range, as we mentioned, you've worked with Disney, Some you've been on national TV multiple times, you've had, in fact, had your own TV shows as well. Mm-hmm. So you've done massive things, had a massive career. How does that, how's that been that, you know, you started off with an idea, you started off with a why, 
and a drive because you wanted to create a legacy. What have the ups and downs of that journey been like for you? And what would you say to other business owners that are listening today about, you know, going outside of your comfort zone? Because I bet a lot of this for you has been uncomfortable for you, you know, and you seem to have powered on and, and made it happen. Yeah. So I would say like being an entrepreneur, it's not a full-time job. It's not a part-time job. It's not a full-time job. It just literally takes over your life. And it, I mean, my career has taken over my life. It's very hard to kind of, I am, me and my career are very entwined. We are. And everybody talks to me as though the Annabelle Carmel brand. So I'm not really a person anymore. And I feel sometimes like they're all talking about me as a brand. But I don't mind that because I feel the why I did it was so important. And I feel proud that I wanted to make a difference to people's lives. And I think I have achieved that because I know that so many parents tell me that their children would eat and now they eat so well following my book. But I always push myself out of my comfort zone and I'm always trying new things. And I think that is so important. You cannot stand still in business. And I always think that, as I said to you earlier, you know, the opposite of success is not failure. The opposite of success is not trying. Because when you try something and it fails, you learn it even more than when you're successful. You know what happened, why it happened, and you won't probably make that mistake again. And very often from a failure, something good happens. It's interesting. I've always been kind of brave in business and I'll take risks. And I also think the definition of someone who's an entrepreneur is someone who's totally unemployable. That's also me. You could never employ me. It's impossible. (laughs) I just, I have these like kind of, I'm creative and I'm always thinking of ideas. But then at the same time, I'm always thinking it must be something that someone else isn't doing well and that there's a gap in the market and that this is something that people really, really need. But if you're smart, you can find those things. And there was a gap in the market. There was no good book on feeding children. And there was no good toddler food in the supermarket. People were buying food for children, which was four years plus. But my range was one to three years, which has very different nutritional needs. And no one did frozen food and no one did chilled food. And it was all long-life ambient food that was potentially and most probably older than the child by the time the child ate it. Wow. Which can't be good. Can't be. You've got the baby aisle. There's no electricity. Yes. So you can't have you can't have chilled food and you can't have frozen food. You can only have room temperature, long life food. So did you spot that gap in the market? You spot but I went to a very good university. The university of working. So <laughs> I didn't want to do a lot when I was writing books, other than write books, because I was a mum and I had three children. And I'd lost my child. I wanted to be there and I wanted to be present. And I felt that I could write books in my own time and still be a really good mum. But then in the year 2000, and the book was published in 1991, Marks and Spencer's rang me up out of the blue and asked me if I'd help them to develop their food range. And that was the university I went to, working with Marks and Spencer's. Because when you're working on a job, it's not just a theory. You design the packaging, you design the food, you put it on the shelf, and you'll see if the customers buy it. And I think that's very important. You cannot, even with research, you can't do research just by sitting looking at a computer. If you want to open a cafe, go and sit in the street where you want to open your cafe. Watch what people come in, what they buy, how long they stay. Otherwise, all you know is how much it's going to cost you to pay your staff and your rent and your rates. You won't know what they're actually going to buy, but they're going to sit there and smoke a cigarette and have a cup of coffee. And like there's nothing coming to you. So I think it was very important that going to Marks and Spencer's and working with them in a team 
I spent nearly two years developing a food range and launching it. And then I worked with Boots and I worked on a co-branded range of Boots. And then I thought, you know what? I can do this. I think if I hadn't worked with those two brands, I'd have thought like, I can't do this. You know, they're all big companies, massive budgets and marketing. And how am I ever going to do this? I didn't go to business school. I don't know anything about business. But the fact that I'd worked with these two brands and I created, you know, really successful ranges for them, I thought, I don't want to work with someone else. I want to do it myself. Because Boots said, we want you to be exclusive, carry on working with us. I said, no, I'm going to go to supermarkets. So I found a consultant and I used the money from my book royalties and I developed a range, designed the packaging and I went to Sainsbury's myself. I didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. (laughs) And I took the chilled food buyer and they launched my food in 2006. And that's it. And since then, we've got into Tesco, Morrison's, Asda, Iceland. Spoke to the co-op today. I mean, just like, you know, everywhere. And then through the books, I got a phone call from Australia, completely out of the blue. This is about seven years ago. And they said they wanted to make a range of food for Coles supermarket in Australia. When I come over and develop the range for them. So I went over to Australia and I worked there, developed the range. It came out seven years ago. It's almost as big as my business in the UK. It's huge. And wow. it came from the books. It came from people loving the books that I developed my food range. And it's been an amazing business. And I work with the, the number one frozen food company in Australia. I mean, if somebody said to you, you're putting a food range in Australia, I'd be like, pull the other leg, come it's on. funny where life can take you, isn't it? When you, you don't... Yeah, you just don't yeah. yeah, the journey. That, you know, for, for the audience, if you know, and, and what I can see there is you establish your authority first. You use the book to establish an authority that said, look, I know what I'm talking about here. I'm an expert in this. You've got 5 million people to agree with you. And then you leverage that to go on and create the results, you know. And I think that it becomes very clear, you know, because sometimes when you say some people think, well, that was a flip. That yeah. absolutely what it's the work that you did in 1991 that gets you results in 2010. And I'm a big believer in that. It's about that keep going, keep moving forward and keep it, keeping pushing on in order to create those results. Embrace new technology. So I developed an app. I put my yep. own money into developing an app. Uh, that was about seven years ago now when we had the best selling food and drink app in this country. We have 340,000 Instagram followers, same on Facebook, huge Pinterest. So we get to 1.5 million parents a week just through our own channels. I mean, in my day, to get to 1.5 million followers. So all parents for young children, it would have cost me a lot of money. I can just do one post on Instagram and it will get to, you know, 150,000 people in like 20 yeah. minutes. I tell my clients and I say to them, in human history, you have not had this opportunity. It's an right? amazing opportunity. Yeah, you know, and I'm not trying to explain it that the more that you go out there and speak your message, the more you're going to get opportunities and, you know, and people don't embrace that huge opportunity as well as somebody can create it for themselves, right? You don't need to be established. I mean, in your case, you are established and you've built that up and you've got that credibility, which is well-earned, you know, but even someone starting off from a smaller base can go out there, establish their authority, build a business, build a brand, as long as they are willing to, as you say, step outside their comfort zone. They've got a strong enough why, you know? But I think with social media, 
it's not about like always pushing a product. It isn't that. Yeah. We built our social media by giving away recipes, by yeah. helping people, you know, yeah. doing lots of nutritional posts. I answer everybody, nearly everyone who writes to me on social media. It's a focus group all the time. I'm looking at what they're asking me, what they like, what they don't like. I put my new recipes up. If I get 700 likes on that recipe or 800 likes, I know that's a good recipe. If I get 40 likes, that's probably not a good recipe. And it's like my own personal focus group. It's the first thing I look at in the morning now is Instagram. I'm literally obsessed with it. I do live Q&As. I love it. It's a two-way thing. I've employed yeah. people I've met on Instagram. It's I've done collaborations with people on Instagram. You know, I spoke to somebody today, Les Dawson's daughter, who's had just had a baby. She's got 1.4 million, or loads of followers anyway. Yeah. So I'm mean, just like, it's an amazing tool that is free that, that you can use. I didn't have that. Yeah. And you've embraced it. You know, you've embraced it. Yeah, and I love it. New technology, you yeah. know, you built, built the app in. So we've, we've gone from being an author with, with a purpose. Talk to yeah. me a little bit about, you had this strong why that you wanted to build a legacy, legacy which I totally understand you wanted to be purposeful. And you said something else to me earlier that you really like to create things of quality. So when you were talking about being successful as a book writer, um, you, you told me that you put your heart and soul into it. Tell the audience a little bit about that because I think that's important. How does somebody put their heart and soul in something? You know, How important do you think it is to love what you do and to really be passionate about what you do? I did not start writing a book on baby and toddler food to make money because it would have been the worst possible subject. <laughs> Everybody me <laughs> up. And they said, don't be stupid. No one's going to publish it. And all the publishers, they're right. They all turned me down because it was up until then. No one had done well after that subject. And I put my heart and soul into it, into every single recipe that I made. I made like four times to test it. I tested it on children. I, every single thing in that book, you know, it's made in my kitchen by my hands and had to be the best quality recipe. And I knew when it came out that there wasn't a book like it anywhere in the world. And it got published in 25 different countries. And with my meals, you know, were made now by some of the best manufacturers in this country, but I still buy them every week and I still taste them every week. And they're not always the same. And if they're not the same, I'm on the phone to the manufacturer, you know, this one isn't like this and it wasn't like that before and it should be more like this. And you just have to keep on looking at the quality of what you're making. Because I think you're only as good as your last meal. And I'm really passionate. and. I think what is really lovely about my business now, it's just so diverse. We're working on a, a children's restaurant in Qatar. I'm doing all the food for the new Jumeirah Carlton Tower Hotel in London. I've just done a big kind of collaboration with Warburton's with British Lion Eggs. And, you know, it's like every day is different. It's just the most fantastic career. And one of the most lovely things and what I feel very privileged about is that I now employ my daughter. Well, I mean, well, my daughter, let's put it that way. <laughs> so she, she's with me every day. She's in my office. Yes, I had to make some sacrifices being a mumpreneur. But my great, you know, happiness is like seeing her loving what she does. And she said to me the other day, we're going to a photo shoot. You know, she said, the best thing in my life is my work. I love it. And how lovely to create something like that. Like yeah. I mean, I... You know, it's hard. The very first steps in a career are very, very difficult. And she's come in at a time when there's just so many possibilities in my career that she can really embrace. And she's absolutely loving it. And I'm loving being with her and my other daughter, because they all see me working. I think that's that's good for children. Mm. My other 
become a social media marketing expert and has her own team. And I use her for my Facebook advertising and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that didn't exist a few years ago. What was social media marketing? What was that? You know, 10 years ago, it doesn't exist. It's a young person's business. Absolutely. And you mentioned being a mumpreneur. What would your advice be to, you know, busy mums looking to you start? Know what? I thought I'm cooking for my children all the time, spending a lot of time in the kitchen because I want them to eat well. My life is going to be with my kids for the next five, six years. I knew I was going to have, I wanted three kids. Do something, embrace them. Don't, don't go off and do, I don't know, haulage trucks because that's not your life right now. <laughs> like, if it's part of my lifestyle, I'll make something for them if they like it. Well, it might go in the book, you know, so I can make use of it. And it's brilliant. And yeah, it just worked. It fitted in with my life at that time. I knew that being a musician, which I was, and being away from the family was not a good idea. I mean, when I got married, I, I'd, I signed up to play Cinderella in pantomime. And I was away from my husband, new husband, you know, 52 days. It was terrible. But they wouldn't let me out of my contract. I was like, I didn't know I was going to get married. (laughs) So it's just, I wouldn't have wanted to carry on performing. It just didn't fit in with, you know, life. It's interesting because you said you're a musician and singer and you come out of that and you go into something completely different. I think that's really good advice. Yeah, I think it's really, really good advice to people that are mums. Can you do something, especially if you want to be a business person, that can fit around your children? Mums Mums are very talented. So they multitask. They can (laughs) deal with a rational toddler. So they have amazing people skills. And multitasking is you've got three children all going in different directions, sticking their hands in plug sockets and God knows what. And they're teachers, they're drivers. They have so many skills as a mother. And nothing is as hard as being a mother. It's true. I mean, I have amazing respect for full-time mothers because, you know, in my work, I think I'm valued. At home, when they were little, it was like, do this, do that. <laughs> like, you know, you're just like, you're a slave to your children in some ways. You think at the end of the day, what have I actually done? But it is still the most important role in a woman's life. And I wanted to be a mom, first and foremost. But at the same time, I always knew at the back of my mind, I couldn't only be a mom. I'd always worked. I knew that I had to have something of my own. I didn't want to... I wanted to keep my identity. And I think it's made me a more confident person and a better mum in that I've been able to help my my children in their careers because I completely understand all the different things about business. Employment contracts, you have to know about law. There's so many things you need to know about that I've had to learn. And you're always learning in business. And I love that. I love that side of business. A lot of mums that are looking to start their businesses and grow their businesses Always talk about time. How did you manage your time, Annabelle, when you were growing, when you were writing your books? What did that look like? Or, you know, how did you manage things and manage your time around the children as well? Was there any, like, tricks or hacks that you use that you could reveal that might help some people that are listening? I think even full-time mums sometimes aren't present with their children. They're on their phone. <laughs> they might not. Agree, yeah. <laughs> the guilt factor. Guilt is a very negative thing. So you yeah. set your own guidelines i'm going to be with my children you know when they wake up i'm going to have somebody help look after them during the day but at four o'clock i'm going to stop work and i'm going to bath them read to them feed them and then i'm going to start work again when they're asleep and if that's what fits in with your life and you feel happy with that that's great and you've compartmentalized your work and your children and when you're with your children you're 100 with them and when you're working you're 100 working the problem is sometimes you just feel guilty when you're working because you're not with your children and guilty with your children because you're not working and you're just beating yourself up and it's no good can't do that so i think you have to realize that probably 
you know, we both need to work. Both, you know, both parts of a partnership need to work. It's very hard to make ends meet otherwise. You know, I had to work. It wasn't the question of like, I was going to live off somebody. I needed to work. I needed to find a way to earn money, but I found a way that I really enjoyed and became part of my life. And it was part of my life. And I think finding something that fits in with your life is very important. And that gives you a lot of enjoyment and creativity. You are as creative. Yeah, some great tips there. So find something that fits in with your life that you enjoy, but you literally compartied your life in different ways, crikey, in order to get things uh, more. I also believe that, you know, now, if children want to speak to you, I'll drop anything. Even if I'm in the most important call to somebody, when my children need me, that is my priority. And it always has to be on my deathbed. What am I going to think about? I didn't get this particular meal into Tesco, or I don't have a good relationship with my son. So it's important. And they often say you're only as happy as your least happy child. So I think for a mother, it's also important to be yourself and, you know, not try and be a man in business. I've never tried to be a man in business. I've always like, you know, my children are important to me. I will leave at their sports day and I won't make, I won't make excuses about it or apologies for it, but I'll make up that time. How important is it to have, which is another thing that I talk about, is that level of confidence to make those kind of decisions? Because you said, I won't apologize for it. I love that. I actually think yeah. that's a real a real good indi- indicator for somebody that's going to be successful is you make the decisions, you stick to it. It sounds like you've got yeah. discipline. You know, how important do you think that is to establish that discipline in business? I'm disciplined because of my music career. You have to be very disciplined as a musician. Mm. I think there's a little bit of difference between a man and a woman. Women, entry level, are doing as well as men. Then they go off and they have children. And maybe they they haven't worked for two or three years. They don't necessarily want to go back and be a lawyer. It doesn't really fit in with their life. So they then have to think, how do I redefine myself? And then they worry that they've been out of work for some time and they've lost their confidence. But what I'm trying to say is that as a mother, you've learned a whole load of amazing new skills and you probably have a secret passion, but you probably don't have the confidence to follow it through because you think everybody else is doing it better. But believe me, I didn't know the first thing about feeding children when I wrote my book and I became the expert. And the funny thing is I worked with the consultant nutritionist, uh, Margaret Lawson at Great Ormond Street Hospital. And she said her claim to fame was that she was on the back of my book. She's like a consultant nutritionist. Like, I didn't know what I was doing at that time. I mean, I obviously know what I'm doing now, but not then. (laughs) And I think that you need to have this confidence. And men will often go for a promotion when they're 20% thinking they might get it. On the other hand, women probably won't go for promotion. That's about 95% sure they're going to get it. That's the difference between men and women. We don't have that ego that we think we're going to be able to do it. We'll think, mm, I've got to be good enough to get this. Whereas men will think, well, I'm always there and I can learn the rest on the job. So I think women just need to, you know, just kind of boost their confidence. How did you do that? So I, I do think is quite a few people saying in the comments, yeah. you're an inspiration. I think, and I think he is a really inspiring story. Really I think research is extremely important about your confidence with research. Is that what you you said? One of the big parts. So I was going to say, what did you do to build your confidence, Annabelle, and push yourself out there? Because you're saying a lot of people hold back. I completely agree with you. I've trained thousands and thousands of business owners and I always talk about the mindset being the starting blocks, right? You've got the mindset right in order to succeed. How did you get your confidence? What kind of tips could you give someone that was listening about building confidence. My confidence came from working with Marks and Spencers and Boots and being able to build something with them. And I felt like, well, I did it for them. I could do it for myself now. But my confidence also came from believing 
but deep down that what I was doing was good. It was a good thing to do. I was helping people. I think children will have better lives. You know, one out of three of us will die from a diet-related disease. So I had a big kind of, there was a real reason why I was doing it. And I think that pushed me a lot. And then I wouldn't be afraid to ring up a buyer or somebody in my business. And I would ask them questions. And I've just recently taken on a non-executive. He was finance director of Selfridges and the chief operating officer of the White Company. It's a company called Neural. It's quite an interesting company where you put up your job description and all these high-powered people see it and then they send in their CVs if they're interested. And I was like inundated with CVs, but I really like this guy. And then I thought, well, he's so high-powered, he won't want to work with me. And he is working with me. And I thought, oh, wow, he wants to work with me. That's great. It's amazing. And, you know, you learn from them. I want to go into a slightly different area. He's done that particular area and I'm going to learn from him. And having a mentor... It's very important, even at my stage in my career, because it's slightly different what I'm doing right now. Yeah, that's that's awesome, and, and and you can see that throughout. You can see that throughout your story. You know, when you went to the book, you went out and you went to the mentors and the nutrition, and you learned off them, and yeah. you listened. You know, when you went out and did your food range, you spoke to the top people, Boots and Marks and Spencers. Now you're going in a different direction. You're looking at somebody in that in that area. So I think there's some big, 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 big lessons That's there. Very the big, when we're uh, talking about learning. When you're listening, you're learning. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now, like in a meeting in the supermarket with a buyer, sometimes, you know, people just talk at them. And I don't. I say, well, you know, what are the trends now? What are you looking for? And before you even launch into anything. Listen, yeah. listening is a skill. People think they always want to justify themselves. And curiosity as well, which is essentially what you're saying. So curious mind can learn a lot. And if you're not yeah. curious, you don't, you know, absolutely. So, you know, I think that's been some, some amazing advice and, and, and guidance there, Annabelle. Really, really impressive well, career. I won, I won Business Woman of the Year. Um, what was it? About six years ago. And I thought, how did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> But then, like, you get Christy Rucker, who never went to business school, and, you know, she married Chris Wheeler, who had Charles Tirrett, and she wanted to prove to him that she could be a good wife material. So she decided to do this house up all in white, and then she couldn't afford it. So then she found out where Ralph Lauren got all his white, beautiful bedspreads and things made. And then she thought, oh, I can do this. She set up her mentor company, and she became mega successful. But her mentor was her partner. She already had a real order company and she learned from him. I mean, she's obviously brilliant in her own right, but it helps. It does. Yeah. Getting a mentor is a really, you know, underrated thing. Finding yes. the right person to help guide you. You can't do everything and do what you love because the things you don't love, you're not going to do very well. Absolutely. Often, often. Just because it makes money, it's never going to succeed. Do something yeah. you're passionate about. You mentioned that and you said if you do something just for making money, you're not going to do it with the same amount of passion no. and energy, you know, absolutely. And I think I that is food and eating. It's, I'm always happy when I'm eating. And they always say, like, when you meet somebody, you want to have the feeling about them as when you see food coming in a restaurant for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really good. If you don't feel like that, it's the wrong person. <laughs> you feel you need that. <laughs> oh, I quite like that. As, uh, so you're going into dating advice next. <laughs> that, was, that was good. So when you meet somebody, if you don't feel like food's coming at the restaurant, yeah. uh, they're <laughs> not even enough, they're out, right? <laughs> no, great advice, eh? great advice. Well, yeah. And you should enjoy working with the people and, you know, 
meeting people. It was a shame over lockdown. You know, we're all on Zoom and stuff like that. It was good enough. But now actually going out meeting people, it's so much better. I forgot how, what I was missing, to be honest. Because business is about other people and learning from them, talking to them, collaborating with them. What did you do during the lockdowns and things with your oh, business? Was that a concern to you or was it something that you managed? We have a website with like thousands of recipes and everyone was home cooking. I mean, the stats went up like crazy. We had in <laughs> supermarkets and everyone had their children at home. So we had great sales. And we had frozen food and we've been very busy. All Thank God, because I'm a complete workaholic. I am completely. I'll be up till two o'clock in the morning, finishing off all the things I need to do. Because I love it. And like people, oh, poor you, you're not going out. No, I'm, what you don't understand is I love what I'm doing here on my computer. Love it. I'm so excited about it. You know, everything, all the things we're doing. And when I go on holiday, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it as much as working. I prefer to work, apart from skiing. Hi, everybody. Adam here. And I hope you loved today's episode. Hope you thought it was fabulous. And if you did, I'd like to ask you a small favor. Could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review? Of course, I'll be super grateful if that is a five-star review. We're putting our all into this podcast for you, delivering you the content, giving you the secrets. And if you've enjoyed it, please go and give us a review and talk about what your favorite episode is, perhaps. Every single month, I select someone from that review list to come to one of my exclusive academy days and have lunch with me on the day meeting hundreds of my clients so if you want that to be you then you're going to be in with a shout if you go and give us a review on itunes please of course do remember to subscribe so you can get all the up-to-date episodes peace and love and i'll see you very very soon thank you